Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, what's up, everyone, and thanks for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. Today I have Jimmy Willis. He's my guest. Uh, he's a Kaju Kembo instructor coming out of Fresno, California, and he shares his martial arts journey. Before we get started with the show, uh, a little bit of details. If you are listening to this from my website or from iTunes or from the internet, and you're listening to it as a podcast, I don't have any type of advertisers or anything. All I ask is for you to go to my YouTube channel, click subscribe, and subscribe to my YouTube channel. I'm trying to hit a thousand subscribers just to help me push more content. Really appreciate it. For those of you on YouTube who are watching this already, if you like what you see, please hit subscribe. You'll get access to this, and you'll also get access to some of the martial arts content that I'm sharing right now for my students and also for anyone interested in learning some self-defense or learning some things about uh, MMA or whatever martial art you're interested in because I do a little bit of everything. All right, without further ado, here is Jimmy Willis. All right, let's get this started. Jimmy, what's up, man? Hey, not much. So, uh, as some of you may know, uh, this is part of the Kajukembo series where I interview different Kajukembo practitioners and instructors around the world. And today we have Jimmy Willis. Is Willis, did I pronounce your last name right there, Willis? Correct. Uh, like Bruce Willis. Oh, nice. Ooh, that's cool. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> and Jimmy, um, just to kind of get things started, how did your martial arts journey start? Like, how did you get into martial arts? Uh, I started when I was a kid. I watched the Bruce Lee movies like everybody else, I guess. And then my first movie that really got me into was The Five Fingers of Death. Uh, my mom and dad took me out to drive in while they watched it. And I was watching it from the back of the, the car. And I just fell out with martial arts. And again, Bruce Lee, watching Cato and the Green Hornet, uh, got me encouraged to do um, going to um, karate. Um, so what happened was <clears throat> my family couldn't afford it at first. So I used to go around the schools and look at the, all the Taekwondo schools. Guys jumping up and down on white geese and kicking. And then one day I got into a, a, a fight uh, at, uh, outside of school where another kid pulled a gun. And I, and I, and I ran to the building. Uh, to make a long story short, uh, I wanted to defend myself on the fight more than one person so my mom's girlfriend's boyfriend was a karate instructor uh, at uh, Vargas Kaj Kimball school so he uh, he took me to their school to watch and I'd never seen guys in black geese before so I thought it was pretty cool because I thought you know I could use those uniforms for pajamas in bed so I was watching them and they weren't just kicking they were punching and beating up people and you know and I asked them are you able to defend uh, what were they doing they said oh they're fighting one person but defending in case another person came so I said, oh, you can, they can fight more than two people? He goes, yes. Three? Yes. Four? Oh, yes. I go, oh, that's something I want to do. And the uniform is pretty cool. They're all black. So I asked my mom, can I do it? And then um, she gave it, to me for my, gave it to me for my 16th birthday. So at 16, I started Kaj Kimball. And um, to this day on. Wow, okay. So um, you started Kaj Would Do you remember around... If you don't mind sharing, do you, do you remember around what year that was? 
Yes, it was after the dinosaurs. It was 1976. <laughs> 1976. Wow, all right. And... um. So you got into Kajikembo because you had someone pull a gun on you uh, during uh, an altercation. You were, and you said that happened at school? Outside of school. Outside of school. Wow. Yes. All right. All right. All right. And um, so you actually, you you were one of those people that kind of, you came into Kajikembo right off the bat. You didn't have some other style that you practiced before. No, it was right off the bat. It's my first system. All right. Cool, cool. And um, when did you uh, so you started you started doing kajukembo and you started training to to defend yourself against more than one person? Um, when did you realize that this was something that you were really going to get into for the long haul? Like you weren't just gonna you weren't just gonna get what you needed as far as self defense. You kind of you wanted to go for your black belt. Was there ever a, a clarifying moment for you where, where that happened, or was it just something that kind of just you just kept doing it, and it came along. It, it, I could, um, I could, you could say I just kept doing it. Uh, it what happened was um, back then it was normal to see guys get broken nose or, or, or the ribs cracked or something like that uh, fighting class because um, it was the age of sixteen and up at that time still when you did Kaji Kimball. And I thought it was just, I thought coming in there at sixteen I was a I was a, a late bloomer and not knowing that that's the requirement. Um, so it was normal to see guys. Uh, uh, the old school fighting and stuff. Um, so what happened was I was a class clown. So I used to always crack jokes and stuff. So I stayed a white belt for three years. Uh, just clowning around and I went to tournaments and stuff, but I always I was a white belt. And back then when you go to tournaments, it's white belt to green belt division yeah. uh, with no separate divisions. And um, one day, uh, the, uh, Sifu called me in the office and told me that, because um, all I wanted to do was fight. Spartan class. I couldn't learn a kata, so that was my weakness. So he says, uh, James, if you ever learn kata, uh, improve on your fighting. So that stung out. Uh, I stuck out there like, what? It'll improve my fighting? So I said, okay. And so uh, I, I followed the excuse that people tend to use for he or she is going too fast, I can't catch up. But what happened was I decided to learn it. So what happened, it didn't matter if he or she was too fast for me or they did it wrong. Um, I learned it. So after three years, I went from white belt to blue belt, and then later I went from blue belt to brown belt and brown belt to black belt within a five-year period. So it was still was a five-year period at that time. And I made it within that five-year period. Um, but it was something that uh, I never thought I would get because, again, three years as a white belt. Um, I never thought that um, I'd, be, uh, I'd, make the, you know, I'd make the accomplishments that I've made, you know, which was what, national rated, world rated. Um, uh, Hall of Famer, um, just uh, you know, have students that were nationally enrolled rated. Never thought that would be possible, but it was thanks to my teacher, uh, to my my classmates, to the people with uh, again in the tournament, people I competed with, um, they helped push me, and those that were before me, you know, Coach Kimmel, that motivated me. And you were saying about that. Uh that old school approach to the sparring. It was only 16 and up. And uh, if we can kind of, uh, if we can kind of unpack that a little bit, how was, what were the sparring rules? What were the basic sparring rules back then? So like, if you... It, it, it was still groin shots. Kaj Kimball always had groin face shots for white belts. So the thing was, 
we didn't have gloves. So back then, you, you had your hands taped um, still. Um, and then at, right at 70, 77, that's when the, uh, the football gloves came in play. Where a little padded across your knuckles came in. Play. Those your foot, your hand gear. Um, you, you had foot gear, but in class, we never used foot gear. So, so just uh, ha- uh, hand gear, which was a pad or tape around your hands, and then the growing cup. And you you saying back in seventy seven they had football gloves? Are you talking about like, like the quarterback gloves, the ones that are semi padded with the fingertips cut out, or the ones that cover the fingertips? The the, uh, the lineman the uh, the pad across your nut your your, your uh, pad across your fist mm-hmm. and it covers your knuckles. Uh, thumbs or fingers are out. Thumbs are out. Yeah, so yeah. it was a defensive lineman. So, so essentially, a very very primitive MMA glove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, yes, there you go. Good picture of it. Yeah, very primitive. Wow. All right. Yeah, I, that's something I, I always tell my listeners that that Kaju Kembo is um is is one of the original original methods and styles that you can find MMA in. And what were the rules? Yeah, it's the first. Actually, the, uh, it's the first MMA system that was created. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something that um. I had another podcast about the controversy behind behind that and some people that talk about like lineages and stuff about uh what they always mention Bruce Lee. But um but yeah, that's that's definitely all the research that I've done points to that. Um for any of you listening that want to contest that, come on the show, talk about it. That's totally cool. Um Yeah, so- Bruce Lee have on his video, by the way. I'm not it's called um, the life and death of Bruce Lee, where he talked about Kaji Kimbo. Uh, Kaji Kimbo was one of the influence of Bruce Lee Korean Jit Kundo. Yeah, yeah. And um, it also comes up, oh, what was the other There was another documentary that it came up into. Uh, either way, there was another Bruce Lee documentary. And they actually had yeah. Kaji Kimbo guys. I forgot, I forgot which Kaji Kimbo guy they had on there. Either way. Uh, but yeah. Out of Costco's? I think so. I think so. I think it was Out of Costco's and um, he passed away. Um, Oh my God! Um, oh my God! I can't remember. He's from Las Vegas. Um, Tizatello. Okay. Yeah, and I think the name of the documentary yeah. was like Bruce Lee, the, the Legend, or something like that. Either way, um, either way, that's it's. If you want to look it up, check it out. Uh, there's been a few documentaries that mention it. Um, but kind of going back to the to the sparring and the fighting. So the rules back then: face shots, growing shots. Um, was there, were they allowing ground and pound at that time? Yes, you had three seconds. So it doesn't matter if it was cement floor or, or, or wood floor. Yes, uh, three seconds follow up. All right. And then you on. Sweep, you sweep them, you take them down, you got to follow up. And then on the floor, were there mats? No. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, we didn't have those. <laughs> Mats were a luxury. I'm, I'm... Yeah, so, so you, play, you you learn to fall pretty good, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I started in Kajikumbo in, in the later generations in the night. Well, no, not even the nineties, like the early two thousands. And um, but yeah, there was no mats when I started either. Like mats were something that came in much later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> late late we late two thousands is when we started using mats. <laughs> Yeah, but. <laughs> I didn't start using mats for my school either until 2017. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But either way, um, so you came in, you just wanted to do the fighting. 
uh, you, you didn't want to, uh, you didn't care too much for the forms. And um, did you, you did the forms. Do you feel the forms helped you with your fighting? Um, yes and no. I mean, uh, the forms is, to me, uh, the forms are alphabets. Uh, I mean, when we write, we use alphabets when we write. So by saying that, we don't use AAA or BBB. We use the different uh, uh, letters in the alphabet to make a, uh, the form a word. Um, the katas or the pinions in, uh, in, in the asylum forms, uh, they, they, they create alphabets. They're alphabets. You pick a word from it to learn how to block with it, punch with it. You don't fight with it, you, you know, because it's not a movie. But you use some of those alphabets and stuff to use to help you with the punching and the blocks. So they're like alphabets on how to do something. Um, I, I think, for a grand, uh, for example, um, we have pinion eight, where you, you cross over, you duck down, you jump up with a, with a, with a front leg front kick. Um, that's the only form that we have that we do that. And then pinion eight, because, you know, was never my favorite when I was growing up. But one day I got into a fight when I was in the military, got in a fight. I was, uh, matter of fact, I was 17, uh, going on 18, got in a fight, my hands down, um, throwing these kicks, side kicks, and a guy caught me, caught me in the head, and I, did, I just knew I dropped down, and next thing I know, I was trying to throw him. But someone told me, they drew a picture, and they told me, or, 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 or I drew a picture, but explained to him, so I dropped down, and I jumped up with a kick, and that's when I grabbed him. And I don't remember that part, because he hit me really good. Uh, my hands were down, and since then I learned always keep my hands up. Uh, uh, but the thing is, the only pinion that had that was pinion eight, uh, so it was, it was already uh, implanted part of the alphabet. So by nature, I responded with a movement without even knowing it. So it kind of ingrains it ingrains uh, different techniques into you that you can fall back on when you're. Uh when you're in situations where sometimes a strategy goes out the window, right? Like, especially when you're fighting, that's correct. That a lot of people, shelf, yeah. 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 A lot of people, whatever you've, you've trained, it's ingrained in That's what's going to come out. Yeah. And, um, you mentioned the military. So as far as your life journey was like, you were doing Kaju Kembo, you were in high school. Uh, how did you, How'd that work out? How'd you end up going from like high school and then that transition from high school to the military? And how did Kaja Kembo help you with all that? Okay. Uh, Kaja Kembo, first of all, I always, always stayed in and always practiced. Um, um, uh, so I never missed a class. Well, I take it back. I missed three classes one time. I got lazy and I thought it was a year went by. I was missing those three classes because I thought everybody passed me by on those three classes. But um, what happened, I, I always did class. Uh, what happened? I was going to college, um, and someone said, "You know, join the army. Uh, you join the army, you go to school for free, and um, they have a, a crisis system there where you can go, go across the world fighting." So I thought, "Oh, that's pretty cool. So let me do that." So I I, I enlisted, joined in, I um, traveled, and 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 start well, being a karate and being in the military. Taekwondo was everywhere. So then you start doing other systems like Taekwondo, learning, you know, uh, enhancing your kicking. And I was stationed in Germany, and then uh, I went to Hamburg, where Alda Costco was stationed at. Uh, uh, so I went there to train with him, uh, him and Mark DeCosco and Malia. Well, you know, from Carlsruhe, Germany, so like five hour drive, I used to, uh, go there to, um, twice a month or, you know, go over there and visit. 
and they enhanced my skills. But even though they're doing a one-hop Quindo, which is still part of Koch Kimball, so I just enhanced my skills. And um, one day I was, uh, I, I wasn't too trying. I wasn't trying to learn anything but this Koch Kimball. So one day we we're sitting there at a table, and uh, I was telling them I hate Taekwondo. Uh, you know, all this all around me is Taekwondo. So he asked me, why don't I learn it? And then I'm like, huh? And at that time, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm not worthy of Koch Chemicals. He wants me to learn something else. And he goes, I think I got to be where I'm at today. And I go, excuse me? And he goes, um, yeah, I learned from everybody. White belt on that. But if they see something, I, I learn, I attach it to, you know, if I like it, I attach it to my system. And all of a sudden, the light bulb clicked on. Like, okay, I can learn other things that add it to the art. You know, so then from there, I started doing other systems, and, and including into the art of Koch Kempo. And um, you've mentioned Al Dacascos a few times now. And now, uh, I'm sure any Koch Kempo listener knows who that is. But do you, uh, would you mind kind of sharing just a little bit um, who Al Dacascos is? Okay, Al Dacascos is another pioneer of Koch Kempo. Um, he came from uh, from from the islands um, in the '60s. He was uh, he, uh, him and um, Adela Cruz created uh, the Twan system of Koch Kimball, and C. Joe gave them the blessings to show uh, that to teach the Twan system to the mainland. But when he came over uh, through the politics, a lot of people didn't take uh, take on the Twan because Alta Costco was a lot younger than they were. Um, but, uh, but our system, we, we took on Chuan Fa. Uh, and then later, out of Costco, created Wan Hap Kwan Do, which is basically the same as Chuan Fa uh, system, but just the hand, the hand movements a little different. Uh, um, and some of the techniques are slightly a little different, but their method is attack first and ask questions later, so it's more offensive than defensive. Um, but then I always um, explain to everybody, you can't have defensive system without an offensive system, and vice versa. You can't have an offensive system without a defensive system. So Al DeCosta was like a pioneer. And he was a top fighter back in the day uh, when he was competing in tournaments. And then his, uh, at the time, his wife, Malia, was an uh, outstanding uh, martial artist as well. And she's still an outstanding martial artist. And um, so if, I, if I'm following the story correctly... So the the lineage that you ended up studying under was through the through Alda Cascos? Is that? No, no. It's Chuan Fa. I, my my lineage is under Grandmaster Gaylord. Oh, okay. Oh, cool. All right. So you know John, or I yeah. don't know. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, from Okayama. Oh, cool, cool. I, I actually, I probably should have started that. <laughs> oh, right on, right on. So, and then for any of you, any of y'all listening. Um, ah, we had, if you look in the Kajakembo series, I, I've interviewed one, well, I interviewed John Hojlo from Okayama. He comes from the Gaylord Method as well. And so does his instructor, who, for some reason, his name is eluding me. I'm going to ask you a different question and get back to that name okay. real quick. Um, but... The other question I had for you real quick is, what styles did you mix into your Kajukenbo? Uh Taekwondo on the White Tiger. Um, uh, Kabawan is a, a, a different type of a screamer called Kabawan. Um, and again, Tamakito, and, which is a small, uh, small jiu-jitsu. Cool. And small circle jiu-jitsu, sorry. And um, where where did you go to to study those other styles? 
Oh, that's easy. That some um, in Germany, uh, in Texas, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, throughout, what happened was um, when I got stationed back in the states in '82, um, I competed in the circuits, and so back then it was a it used to be a magazine called Karate Illustrated. And so I used to follow that magazine. So wherever I was going, TDY or something like that, or, or station or, or just temporarily, I would always look for their top instructor or the person that was top, top rated to see what they were doing so I could learn from them. Because I always wanted to, to be the best, you know, be the best that you can be at that time. So I went, so I always used to look at the cryo straight. And if, if I was in Pennsylvania, I'd look at that school. Some schools, um, very Ohana, uh, and then some school were not Ohana versus outside the Kachikam uh, system. Some welcomed you, some didn't welcome you, some thought you were a threat, some were very friendly, some were able to, you know, you were able to exchange. So it, it, uh, it taught me also how to receive other people um, because by learning from the bad experience, I know not to do that. Learning from the, from the good experience, I learned to do that. And uh, let's go a little deeper into that. So you, uh, as some of you listening may know, you know, Kajuk, and this, if we're, we're kind of get, alluding into this right now, is the idea that Kajukimbo practitioners uh, will visit other schools, will train with other schools. Um, sometimes we'll even start a completely different system from scratch. So, like, uh, it's not uncommon to, for a Kajukimbo guy to walk into, for example, a Brazilian jiu jitsu place, start as a white belt, and maybe not even mention that he does Kajukimbo. <laughs> so, like, yeah, yeah. so, um, and that that whole idea of welcoming and unwelcoming, uh, what uh, I guess, let's just go into it. What were some of the bad experiences you had where you felt unwelcome? How'd that what'd that look like? Okay, let me see. The bad experiences. I won't mention the names because it's, it's not not nice. Of course, of you, course. You go to the, you we go can... you go to their school, and they they'll you know they they'll um they want to see what you can do, or they ask you to spar. Like the time. Like, the, uh, like in the 80s, I was, uh, I was both top ka uh, kata and weapons and then fighter. But I like to fight. So they, they, and, and people want to learn your fighting techniques. They'll, they'll, so instead of working out with you or, the, or, or, or going over techniques, they'll have you spar their students. And when they spar their students, I mean, they'll just fight hard. And so then you, you'll, you fight them back hard. So what happens? You're really not learning anything because you're coming up bruised. They're coming up bruised. Um, so you don't really, you really learn anything. But by going to a school that's having you're having fun, where you're able to uh, practice, play, and, and learn, it was more enjoyable. You know, and, and like some schools weren't like that. That's yeah. That's that pretty much sums it up, huh? So people would, they wouldn't really teach you techniques. They were just having you fight all the time. And th these people, they already knew you had like a, a background in Kajukembo. You didn't like keep it a secret from them. No, uh, I had, even that one guy who told me to. Um, take my belt off while I'm there. So I was like, oh, well, okay. You know, it's not like I was going to run off with the school or anything because I was trying to learn. Um, I said, okay, because he felt intimidated when I was wearing a black belt. Students were looking at me. And, and, and what happened is by doing stuff like that, it only pushes you uh, to learn quicker anyway because you don't want people looking at you like, well, come, you don't know this. And I go, well, it's not my system. I'm trying to learn. <laughs> Yeah, so it just, it just motivated you to learn. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the ego, so it didn't bother me to take off my belt or anything like that. Cause it wasn't the ego to to go look at me. I'm a black belt, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a rough situation. Like like I said, I, I live in Japan, 
And um, in Japan, I'm trying to remember, did I? Yeah, in Japan, I think I only went to, I didn't even have my belt with me when I did that. So like in Japan, they're really, they still have, if you, and if you remember Bruce Lee, the whole reason he kind of put together the methods and philosophy that he had was to kind of counteract the culture of Asia yes. of Asia at the time, and I want to say that that culture never changed. Um, they really, no, they really a, preserved. A, actually, <laughs> actually, here in the state, yeah, in Japan, you would imagine it's more stone in stone. Yeah, um, yeah, that 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 I, that mentality. And in America, I've seen of more of a shift as far as, yeah. uh, especially, I want to say big thanks to. To MMA, like that's really where you, I'm seeing more of that shift is, and even in Japan too. Like the places where I'm more welcome is the MMA community, but mm-hmm. more the traditionalists, like the Kyokushin Karate guys, and uh, the Japanese, the Japanese, uh, what's if I'm gonna just the Japanese Karate Federation (JKF). I've trained with those guys, and when I went in there, I got the vibe. The Kyokushin Karate guys were a little more open. They were okay. In fact, that's the one place I actually did wear my black belt. The instructor said that, uh, the instructor told me he was a friend of mine, but he's also from New Zealand. He wasn't Japanese. But, um, he, you know, he was a friend of mine and he, he let me wear my black belt and my black gi and just explained to everyone that I came from a different style. And the guys that I met through the Kyokushin community were a little more cool, a little more open to it. But the Japanese Karate Federation guys were definitely not. They were very traditional. Um, I didn't even bring my belt. I just went in there to kind of see. Just like I did with the Kukushin guy, I went without my belt the first time. He said, no, next time bring your belt, bring your gi. But the uh, the Japanese Karate guys were just like, you don't know what you're talking about. That Like, they can't, like they, I, I'm not even talking yeah. about. Like, I, I, don't, I really couldn't speak the language. They were just like, all right, go ahead and show us. Uh, go ahead and... Uh, Let's do some techniques. And the guy introduced me as a kickboxer. That's what he said. He's a kickboxer. So they went in and we started. Uh, the the sensei was very traditional. He made me do uh, a front kick for a month straight. That was my training. Was uh, I would sit Are there for, for 12 rounds. You were a very good front kicker, I bet. Oh, yes. I, I, I really got to revisit the front kick and, and, yeah. a, and a jab straight. So for the first two weeks... I did just a jab straight for 12 rounds for three minutes each. And then the last two weeks, he mixed in six rounds of a jab straight and six rounds of a front kick. And on the first day, they had a spar. And uh, we weren't wearing, I, I didn't wear a belt. Um, some of the guys wore belts. Some of the guys just wore kickboxing outfits. And in the sparring, they attributed all my strength to being a gaijin, which is a foreigner. <laughs> so like that's just how they think um they knew i did a different style i never mentioned what my rank was i said i did a different style but i definitely was uh it's a lot different than in the u.s as far as like the openness to accepting someone from that's not from the same school they're very protective yeah that that started in the 80s too though that 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 shift in the 80s because it was like that in the 70s um uh where you know where you, you, you the art was basically for Asian. Um, you couldn't, you know, it wasn't if you're if you're outside if you weren't if you're an Asian you're you know uh, you went to school they you 
did, they did come at you a little harder to make you quit or fold. Um, but usually back then, it was based on your uh, on your pride, your self esteem. Being a man, you know, you, it's a little different now on the self esteem level uh, compared to back then. Because back then, you, it's all about your self esteem and how you the, the labor, the work into it. Nowadays, it's based on how much money you have. You know, the self esteem is based on your pocket. Yeah, that's. I guess it's it's kind of a. I don't know. I don't. I really don't know which one's worse, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, real yeah, quick. Society has changed. Yeah. Real quick side note. I mentioned earlier some of the other Gaylord practitioners, and um, looking at my phone here for some research, it was Ron Esteller, and also, oh, Ron, yeah. yeah, 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 Ron Esteller, and also Eric Coleman were the other Gaylord practitioners. Eric, okay, that's Ron Esteller. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry to interrupt you just for the listeners that were waiting for oh, the no bit, they can check it out. <laughs> so let's uh, kind of, I'm going to kind of, uh, spin my wheels back here for a sec. Um, all right. So you mentioned, we talked about, we, we, I, I totally forgot to ask you how your, what your black belt, what your black belt test was like. Um, cause I know it's different for everyone depending on what school they go to. Um, what was it like? What, what, what did you have to go through? What did you do, or what did you? What was the test like? Okay, my testing for black belt. I had to do all my pinions. I did twelve pinions, four katas, uh, twenty-one grab bars, twenty-one punching attacks, A's and B's, and um, I did two weapon forms, and then uh, uh, and I did five um, self-defense weapon types: knives and gun, uh, and stick. And then I had to fight the whole class who was there. So um, you fight individually, and then you then you did uh, two on one, and three on one, and four on one, and then the most was five on one. So you had to fight five guys on one, and um, as long as you fight back, um, I think the most painful thing was the end of the testing was the inhale contains for everybody gets to uh, initiate your black belt that, that was there to test, but they watch you test. You know, you sit in a horse stance, you, you inhale, contain, and they throw a punch or a side kick or a hammer fist right, depends on how they want to hit you. Ooh. So, and that was after that was after all the sparring, too. So, you're already, beat. yeah, that's after all the sparring, yes. <laughs> yeah, you're beat, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something I always mention to people, uh, they ask me, so like, do it, they'll ask me sometimes when they're going to test for their black belt, so do I have to win all my fights? And I say, just don't give up. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's what I tell my students too. They, um, I don't expect them to win, especially on the three on one, because you're not doing the, you're not breaking or or, or doing any damage, serious damage. But you need to fight. You know, don't don't sit there and fall on the floor or whatever. You need to fight. So if they fall, on the, if they don't fight, then they stay out there a little longer until I get mad. You know, until I get tired. But usually yeah. everybody fights. Yeah, that's it's it's a survival. It's more of a survival. A survival gauntlet than than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's fun. It is it's actually for this initiation. It's fun because you know you can do it. You know that uh, push going to shove. You can defend yourself between um, three, uh, three or four multiple attackers at the same time because you're not even trying to hurt them while you're testing. So if you're not trying to hurt them and you're defending yourself or fighting back, then just imagine the damage you can cause when you are trying to actually defend yourself. Yeah, and again, it's um. When when uh 
when when Jimmy's talking about not trying to hurt them, what he's talking about is you're not trying to like break their arm. You're not trying to correct. You're not yes. you're not you're not trying to like you're hurting them, but you're not trying to actually break anything. Um, the time is very limited. You don't you're not going to have time for a submission in a three on one because while you're submitting one guy, the other two stomp on you, so it ends up turning into a yes. lot of a lot of striking, and you're still hitting really hard. So you know. yeah, yes. Um. So you got your black belt. Talked about the test. What um? When did you make that transition from practicing to teaching? Oh, good question. Um, when when I got when I received my blue belt, uh, we we always were told to help the other other belts. So it was normal to assist other people with their techniques of katas or punching attacks or pinions. Um, so the transition was was already being implemented as a as an underbelt. Um, so but I guess the transition was uh, I think the hard transition for me was when I was in Texas. When I was teaching on Mondays and Wednesdays I was teaching Coach Kimball. And then Tuesdays and Thursdays I was teaching Taekwondo. I think that was the difficult part for it because um, the different system, and then it was Sifu and then Sensei, the difference, you know, title. Because uh, in San Antonio, like for example, for San Antonio, Texas, 1980, what year was that? 84. 1984 at the Boys Club, I was Sensei, teaching them uh, um, um, Taekwondo Mondays and Wednesdays. Oh, no, Tuesday and Thursday, I'm sorry, Tuesday and Thursday, Taekwondo. Uh, and then teaching them uh, uh, Kempo uh, uh, Mondays and Wednesdays was a little different because in Taekwondo, there is no, uh, it, it, it's not much self-defense. It's very basic. There was no takedown. There was no maim or breaking. Um, so, uh, and then the, the kicks uh, are, are different. Uh, so it was very, it was like, uh, without hurting anybody that's doing Taekwondo, it was very vanilla. Um the techniques, um, and, and I don't mean to put it down because I have a sixth degree in Taekwondo, so I don't mean to put it down. But it's just, it's just uh, it, 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 it just, it's different. It's, it's uh, different. Kaji Kimball, the beauty of Kaji Kimball is that it's a, it's a mix, of, mix art, and it, it's, um, I know I'm going away from that, but what the question asked, I think. But no, anyway, no, the, no. I, nice. I, I like where we're going with this. Go ahead. <laughs> no, okay. The beauty of uh, Kaj Kimball is it's a mixed martial arts. Um, we have freedom of speech. And Sigil said, if it works, use it. So he never said you can't ask that to Kaj Kimball. Um, so we're allowed to add where other systems can't add. They have a Bible, and their Bible is you can do a block a certain way. Like back in the, back in the day, it was um, when you do upper block, it wasn't at an angle. It was just an upper block. Where you know uh, now it's at an angle where the stick hits and fly, slides down your arm, whatever. Uh, we we um, we uh, we adapt, and 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 the, the usually systems like Taekwondo, uh, Shunru, they you you have to follow the guideline. You can't change it. It's, it's there already. You must do that movement, and that's fine for back in like 1930s or or like that. But we have we're, we're in the 2000s. We, we fight differently. People move differently. 
So you adjust. So what's nice about Kaiser Chemo, we adjust and we can add and take one on it. And then it was interesting because it's the first American mixed martial art. And with that idea of you can always add, we have the, um, we're also uh, able to express it differently. So you like your Kaja Kimbo, you can express it differently. And it doesn't mean you're not Kaja Kimbo. And that's the way of, of freedom of speech. You can address it um, and, 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 and add to it, describe it differently. And when uh, in, in description and add on, it still comes out to Koch Kimball, which is one of the beauties of it. Yeah, it definitely is one of the beauties of it having having open guidelines. One of the instructors I had on here is Stefan Casting, who's also a Brazilian jiu-jitsu instructor and YouTuber. He uh, described he he quoted that uh, uh, a martial art uh, is. The way it's gonna look like is the way it looks like, and I'm paraphrasing here. Um, the way it, the way the martial art is gonna look like is the way it's being it's being it's being driven by the sports side of it, and the way it's being practiced out in sparring, right? So the way you spar is even if you have other techniques in the martial art, the way you spar is gonna drive the rocket, if you will. Like if your body's a rocket and the techniques are a warhead. The way you spar is going to drive that rocket. It's going to, it's going to make you, the body, it's going to, that's what's going to be driving it. And I think a lot of people on the internet, uh, they, talk, they talk a lot of shit about Taekwondo, not really knowing what the rules are. So I think it'd be really, I, th I know what the rules are for Taekwondo, but I know a lot of people just dismiss it right off the bat. I'm not one of those people. But for those of you listening, uh, Jimmy, would you mind kind of breaking down what the rules are for sparring in Taekwondo? Okay, Taekwondo, the sparring for Taekwondo is, is basically kicks you. Um, you you're awarded the points on the kicks, the power kicks. Uh, you, you're, you're wearing a vest. Um, you're padded up. Uh, the hands, you, you can you can score with a hand, but very seldom you do score with the hand in Taekwondo rule. On the, on, the, on the scoring because you have to show power. The legs are stronger than the hands, so it's always a power. So you see guys jumping up and down and throwing the back leg roundhouse kicks or front leg or axe kicks, which is a, which is a beautiful technique, or spinning back kicks. Um, but it's basically power. Um, Taekwondo, the, the, um, every art is a beautiful art. If it's been out there, it's a beautiful art. It depends on the individual who's using it. Taekwondo it's not uh, self defense. They call it a sport now, but it is back in the day, it was considered self defense. You just can't, is, and sometimes they, um, they're, they're, adding more, they're adding more things too, because there was no such thing as takedown back in the day on Taekwondo. Uh, it's kicks. It, it, um, you're just kicking. Um, I don't know how to, I think I messed that up by saying that, but anyway. No, no, no. no. Uh, it, it just, um, it's not much of a takedown. It's not. It's a. It's a. Uh, I, I, um, this is, it's like jujitsu. Um, in jujitsu, you're not going to be kicking. You're going to. You're going to be trying to take the guy down. Use their weight against him. Same thing with taekwondo. Taekwondo, you're not going to be taking the guy down. You're going to use your legs against uh, the opponent. Well, I guess um, to make it a little clearer for people listening, if I were to say, "Hey, I have no idea what taekwondo is, um, but I know how to. I know how to fight." And I'm about to walk in and do some Taekwondo Olympic sports style Taekwondo sparring. Let's say I'm about to go into a tournament. 
What would you explain to me as far as the rules are concerned for that? Okay, for that, there's no face shot. With the hand. You can't punch them in the face with the hands. You can't use the butt. You can kick them. Um, so, the, you um, can kick to the head. You kick to the head, yes. Okay. How many points? Uh, how many uh, points do you get for a kick to the head? It was three points to the head, uh, two to the body, with a kick to the midsection. All right. How many points do I get for a punch to the body? Punch to the body, you get none, unless you rock the body back. You know, that, you know, I mean, you. I mean, you have to. They have to fall back, and that's when you get one point. All right. So if I do a, if I do a, a strong straight punch, not a hook, but a strong straight punch to the body, I'm awarded one point. No, not really, because the person won't be falling back because he's padded. Oh, okay. Well, but if the person falls back, so for example, if he I falls back, in, then you then you get yeah, you get a point. Yeah. So if I did a really good straight punch to the body and they fell back, so it'd have to be like a really good punch. I, it's a possibility that I can be awarded one point. Yes. However, <laughs> what would happen if I threw a body uppercut in in Taekwondo? Like a body. body uppercut. Yeah, like a like a boxing, bobbing, weaving body uppercut to the ribs. Is that allowed? No, uh, no, no point. Because you're not rocking the body. The body won't rock because you're padded. Oh, okay. So it would be, again, very low. Uh, in the sport side of Taekwondo, it's a very low possibility if I came in with a bobbing, weaving, uppercut, I would have to essentially get through a vest. And I'm also wearing, I'm wearing a glove, right? You were, Yeah, you're wearing gloves. Um you're wearing a vest. You're wearing headgear, but yeah, it's good. you can't hit to the head. Yeah, so I'd have to um, only you can kick to the head. If I'm punching, I'm only punching to the body. So the uh, uh, uppercut to the body with someone wearing a vest is what we would call a low probability technique for for a point. Correct. Okay. And because of that, um, I get three points to the head, two points for the kicks to the body. What kind of kicks? Uh, am I? Would you mostly be encouraging me to do if I if I was to do that? Uh, back leg roundhouse side kicks, front leg side kick. Okay, and where am I trying to target my back leg roundhouse to to the main ribs, uh, up to um, ribs, uh, mid uh, stomach, uh, chest, face. Okay. No buttocks. No, you know, you can't hit the legs, and arms don't count. So no no kicks no kicks to the legs either, no leg checks. No. Okay, cool. And then with that, um, for some of those people, maybe the naysayers scratching their head, what would you say are some of the benefits to kicking that way? Like if we were to grab now now we know what taekwondo is strong with, you know, the spinning wheel kicks. Uh, there's their spinning side kicks and their kicks to the head. With those three things, how are those things beneficial to a Kaju Kembo sitting? Back and going to MMA now that we're doing everything, everything's allowed. How how are how how would you say? How would you? I don't want to say sell that because I don't want to try to say that we're selling anything. But how would you? How would you say it's benefited maybe you or your students in learning how to kick like that? Uh, it gives them extra tools, extra weapons to use. So, um, like, uh, like for, 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 for my house, we, 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 we do the spinning, uh, jump spin hill kick, the, uh, axe kick, the, um, the bladed side kick. However, I always stressed, um, if you're going to do the bladed side kick, yeah, that's good only for katas, you know, not, you don't want to use it for fighting. Um, 
but uh, we we use all uh, different angles of the kicks. We still use Kimple kicks, so it it, it 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 depends on the person. Every fighter is different, so either you're a legger or or or, or, or you're a, you're a hand, or you use hands. Um, and we try to use both because Clutch Kimball is 50-50, so you always want to endorse that 50-50 rule. And then, um, yeah, and so, like, looking at that, now that we've kind of expressed and shared what what the rules are for Taekwondo and the sport behind it, and then I'm just also going to add, for any of you naysayers listening to this and that hate Taekwondo and maybe already already on the YouTube comments <laughs> talking about how much oh, you don't, don't about. hate it. Every art is a good <laughs> art. For, for any of you trolls out there, uh, I do recommend that you check out uh, wheel kick knockouts in MMA because that's that's the wheel kick. That's what they call it in MMA or our spinning our spinning hook kick as they will call it in Taekwondo. Um, is a powerful kick. So just check out wheel kick yeah. knockouts, and that's where that's coming from Taekwondo. If you want to see a really nice example of a spinning side kick, check out George Saint Pierre. He's got a knockout that came out in one of the championship matches where he did a spinning side kick. That was taught to him by a Taekwondo black belt named Joe Rogan. Maybe you heard of him. Yeah, I, 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 yeah actually, heel kick. Uh, the, the heel kick is really, really, it's a really good weapon. But um, the only the only weakness on it, the downside on it, is when they do it. They tend to do it more than once when it's not effective after that. It's more effective when you catch the person off guard when you do that one time, the heel kick. Yeah. And it's really crazy if you see that George St. Pierre fight. Or the axe he, kick. Oh, the axe kick. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, the heel the kick. Axe I'm axe sorry. The oh, axe kick. Oh, the axe kick. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was talking about the, the spinning side. But, uh, yeah, that's um, just some examples of that. Now, uh, okay. Yeah, I still have time. All right. <laughs> just checking my time. Um, looking at going back to what i said about how the sport drives the system how now com- not that we're comparing the two but what are the if i was about to go into a kajakembo tournament and let's say let's break down let's go into continuous sparring we'll talk about point sparring later but okay let's talk about continuous sparring what is continuous what is continuous sparring and what does that look like at a kajakembo tournament what are the rules? Okay, continuous sparring. There's no headshots, but you can hit. You can hit as hard as you can into the body. That's a dominant fight. So you're gonna fight for the full two minutes. The dominant fighter wins. Um, uh, again, you cannot kick to the. Uh, I mean, not kick. You cannot punch to the face. Can you kick to the face? You kick to the face. Yes. Okay. My kicks. Can I kick to the legs or only the body? No, the no, only the body. Okay. And is this so? It's based on dominant fighter. So whoever is pushing the other person back is that? Yes. Yeah. So it'll be three judges, and, and our, our depends on if it's a black belt, then it's five judges, and uh, one judge each corner, and then center judge, and a dominant fighter will win. All right. All right. Is there takedowns? No, no takedowns. All right. And um. So the dominant fighter, meaning the other person controlling the other person by punching and kicking to the body, and also you can kick to the head, um, but you can't kick to the legs. So in a lot of ways, the, these rules kind of reflect uh, kyukushin karate kumite, uh, minus the leg yeah, kicks. There you go. Yeah, good, yeah, that's a good one. Yes, yeah, it does. Yeah, Min- minus the leg kicks. All right. And now, um, now what does the points... Oh. 
Am I allowed a KO? Can I knock out my opponent? With a body shot, yes, but not okay. not with a hit that to the face. Not not with a punch or to the, the head. Can I kick him? Correct. Can I can I knock him out with a kick to the head? He, uh, actually, you're not, we've seen it happen, but you're not supposed to do control kicks. Okay. So you're supposed to control your yeah, kicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. only thing that's different between this and the MMA fight is it's controlled. Yeah, yeah. And, and for those of you listening, it mostly because of insurance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> mostly because of insurance. And I know that the last, in the last uh, Kaju Kembo tournament that they had in Vegas last year, in the last few years, they've been having the Nevada State Commission come in for the kickboxing. So they've been mm-hmm. doing they've been doing kickboxing. Which is using American kickboxing rules, which do which is pretty much American kickboxing. You can punch to the face, uh, you can kick to the body. American kickboxing, you cannot kick to the legs in amateur division. But they've been having the Nevada State Commission come in to be able to do that. But then you're not allowed to do a back fist. It has to do. It has to be clean kickboxing. So like uh, you know, back yeah. to boxing yeah, rules as far as the punches are concerned. Um, but that's again that has to do with the insurance. So like once a year they'll have a Kaiser Kimbo tournament and they'll have a special division for the kickboxing that's being ran by the state commission and that if you're if you're running a tournament it can get really expensive to be running full contact fights all the time because the insurance for that costs quite a bit of money and uh there is yeah, it, it, it's not like we're making any money off of this <laughs> no you'd be lucky to host a tournament and break even um yeah are you are you coming to the next uh tournament uh, which is july 25th uh no, I won't be able to make it. <laughs> it's been a while. Believe me, I understand. Yeah, coming from Japan, it's it's expensive. So uh, my uh, uh, I understand. I do. I am going to a few years down the road. I have to plan it out. But uh, but yeah, maybe a few years down the road, I'm planning on on visiting a, a Kaiju Kimbo tournament down the road. But once the funds are in, in line for that. <laughs> And, yeah, take uh, your time. <laughs> so, I guess uh, we're kind of getting close to our to our wrap up here. Um, and before we 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 wrap up, we still have to cover two more points. What does the point sure. sparring look like? If I'm about to go into point sparring in Kajukembo, what are the rules for the point sparring in Kajukembo at a tournament? Okay, point sparring. It is two. Um, you hit. You get punched to the face. In the Kaj Kimmel tournament, in, in normal tournaments, you cannot punch the face unless you're a brown belt and above. Right. Um, a Kaj Kimmel, if you're white belt, you can still score to the face. You, you, know, you just cannot rock up. Uh, that has to be controlled shot. How many points do I get to a punch to the face? One point. All right. And uh, how about for kicks? What are, what's the point system for the kicks? It depends on who's hosting or who's pro, uh, promoting. You think kicks are two points? to the midsection our face but if you then but in some leagues if you jump up and do a kick to the face it's three points um or do you do a jump back kick or hook kick it's a, um, three points to the face two points to, uh, for the body one point to the groin if you uh-huh. kick so you kick them in the groin is one shot so, uh one point so real quick asterisk growing shots are allowed growing shots are allowed it depends on what what not every tournament but for, for kaiju kimmel tournaments yes yeah. growing shots are allowed for Kaju Kimbo tournament, Kaju Kimbo yeah. rules as far as for anyone listening, and then um, how many points for a win? I forgot to ask that earlier. I, I sh- yeah, how many points? For- oh, for, 
um, for when it, uh, usually the five point dominant win, so it's five, um, whoever scores the first five points. And if you're going by single point shots, then it's the first three points. So that pretty much clarifies all the rules. And the reason we did that for you listeners and viewers is just so you can kind of get an idea of what I talked about, how Stefan Kesting talked about how the sport drives what the, what the, uh, what the art will look like in action. Um, and that's why we, we kind of broke that down. And then one of these days, uh, I don't have the time for it now, but I guess I, I'll, I'll break it down real quick. If you're wondering, for any of you listening, uh, jiu-jitsu, in jiu-jitsu, I believe, depending on the federation, you get two to three points for a takedown. I'm sorry, say again, I, I, I lost you. Oh, no problem, no problem. I have... <laughs> so some some music came on there. I'm I'm gonna cut that out. Yeah, so, my, so it doesn't, my, get, yeah, so it doesn't get pulled out from yeah. YouTube. <laughs> I don't, I'll get copyrights. I was like, oh, I know that song. No. Uh oh, <laughs> I'm gonna have a copyright no, I had violation. A call. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. The 800 call. I'm like, what the heck? So I kind of heard turning it off. That's <laughs> uh, so, no problem. I mean, yeah. Um, I'm gonna edit that out because of not not because okay. not not because of that happened. I thought that was funny. I'd keep it if it wasn't for the song. YouTube will pull down my video because <laughs> of the song. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, Post Malone. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all right. Well, okay. Uh, wiki, wiki, wiki. Remix. Uh, three, two, one. <laughs> As I was saying earlier about the jujitsu rules, for any of you listening, wondering what the rules are in jujitsu, depending on the federation. A takedown will get you two points. Uh, passing the guard will get you one to two points. A knee mount will get you two to three points. A full mount will get you three to four points. Taking the back, three to four points. And, of course, a submission is an instant win. So that's that's those are the point system driving Brazilian jiu-jitsu right now, uh, depending on the, on the venue that it's being held at. So for those of you watching or listening, hopefully that gives you an idea of uh of how the point systems work and then in mma there isn't really a point system but there is that dominant system going back to our kajikumbo rules where they talked about how a, a person being dominant judges do look at that in mma as well they call it ring control the person who's in the center of the ring pushing back their opponent into the cage constantly driving their opponent if it has to like if the judges if there is no clear decision and they go all depending if it's a championship match three to five rounds um they're going to look at the opponent who is constantly pushing you know the, the fighter that was pushing back their opponent in the cage good ring control if they put them on the ground the person standing up usually the person standing up doing the striking is the one that's going to end up being declared the winner so even if they're and here's one thing that a lot of jiu-jitsu guys totally totally forget about when they enter the cage is the idea that if you have someone in your clothes guard and jujitsu is no big deal um you being the clothes guard you work a you try to work a sweep or whatever they kind of look at that as a stalemate but in mma they do not look at that as a stalemate the person on the ground is being viewed at as the loser um because the person on the top can always kind of escape a little bit and start striking and they're looking at the person on top as the person dominant keep that in mind if you yeah, go in the cage person on top should be striking <laughs> <laughs> yeah should should be striking or trying to pass the guard but yeah. yes just just an idea of how all these systems work and drive drive the arts behind them for our wrap up 
Jimmy, what advice do you have for anyone looking for a good place to train? Like, let's say they live out in the middle of nowhere and they don't, you know, they're new to the game. They have no idea what works. They're just kind of browsing the internet, trying to figure things out. And there's not a lot of options available to them. What do you, uh, what do you recommend? Like, what kind of, what do you recommend as far as uh, good things to look for in a school or, a, or an instructor? Okay, that's a good question. Uh, what I tell people to do is always, when you go there, um, look look around. Uh, uh, look at the certificate to see if he or she is legitimate. And then you want to look at their students. Don't look at the instructor, but what, observe the students to see if they're, if they're kicking and punching. Because yeah, this is what you're going to be looking like later when you get in there. So you want to make sure they're doing it right. And most of all, you want to make sure that you are comfortable within the, in that school. It should be uh, uh, it shouldn't be commercial. It should be more of Ohana, which is more of a family oriented school, to make sure that you're you're showing love um, by showing love that you're being treated right. You're part of that family, um, extended family. Um, so again, go in there and make sure you see that there should be certificates on the wall to let you know that where he or she came from. If it's a college Kimball school, there's a family tree there that, that lets you know um, what branch they're from. If, and if they're, not, if they're missing on that tree, then something's wrong. Um, um, just in, um, I'm old school, so just go by the students. I, I look at the students and see what they're able to do. Cool. The instructor may be able to walk on water, but can the student walk on the water? So there it is. Look at the students. That's going to be, and uh, to kind of add to that point, the students are going to be the people you're mostly training with. So look at the students. Look how they treat Correct. each other. And and if you like what you see, then, then maybe you found your, your new home, right? Because as you know, once you start training, that becomes your Sometimes that becomes almost your primary home. It'd be there more than your house. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's where you, you're going to learn. You want to make sure it's a, it's a nice home to learn at. Well, Jimmy, uh, mahalo. Thank you very much again for coming on the show and talking about and sharing your journey. Um, is there any links, any, any, any plugs you want to put in? I know you have a school, right? Where's your school at? My school's in Fresno, California. And uh, I'm gonna send a link later. But if you want to look on there right now, is uh, through Facebook is uh, for, uh, Willis uh, Willis Kaju Kembo, and there's WillisKembo.com. All right, and Willis Kaju Kembo. That's W I L L I S Kaju Kembo K A G J U E E N K E N B O. Okay, cool. For sometimes for the people listening that, and now for the you listening on from a podcast venue. Check out the episode notes. It's going to be right there. So cool. So there you go. There's all the information you need. Uh, again, man, thank you very much for you, uh, for you viewers and listeners. Uh, stay tuned for the wrap-up. That's a wrap. Thanks for checking out again Social Jello with Angelo. If you haven't already, subscribe to my YouTube channel. And check out the episode links uh, or the video description if you want to go visit Jimmy and train with him in his Kajukimbo school. In Fresno, California, just click right there and uh, set up a appointment to train. Again, thanks for checking us out. Thanks for always supporting the show. It's much appreciated. I hope you all have a great week. Peace.